and bring these words home and, 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 and rest them in our hearts and our minds that we, might, uh, that, that we might listen to them, hear them, and respond in the way that you lead us to. Father, I pray that you would just work in this time, that you would be honored by it, and that we would be uh, focused and, 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 and paying attention to, to who you are, to what you're doing, what you're calling us to do, what you've already done for us. Father, that we would uh, set aside the distractions and the worries uh, of life, that in this time that we would be wholly centered on this, on this moment. So all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter 17 is the high priestly prayer. It's, um, it's called that because obviously Jesus is our high priest. He is our connection, our liaison, our, our uh, way to reconciliation um, and to redemption. He is the only thing that stands between us and a relationship with God. He finishes teaching his disciples just before he goes to the cross. And as he finishes teaching, he gives them some specific instruction. He pastors them. He comforts them. He tells them what they're going to do. He warns them of the consequences of their relationship with him. And then he stops and he just looks up to heaven and he begins to pray. And as he did that... we begin to see some very special things, I think. And last week we started into this. I, you know, I, I told you I thought that I'd preach two weeks on this, and, and I heard this week that there's actually people who have preached like 42 sermons on this. So we won't be in this passage for 42 weeks, but we will be here another, at least another week. But, but as, we're, as we're looking at it, the reason that, that, that we're going to be there is because Jesus, as he's speaking to his Father, He has this eternal perspective. He knows the truth. He knows everything about the truth, in fact. He knows the beginning from the end. He he has this perspective that is complete, that's total. That that There's nothing lacking in it. And as he speaks to his father, he begins to say things, not in parable, not in story, not in in any hidden meaning. He speaks directly to his father about this this work that he'd, he'd been given to do, about the people that he'd been given to, uh, to, to work for and, and, and the coming generations of those people. And so as we think about it, as we hear it, and as it applies to us today, it, it, it's imperative that we begin to hear this perspective. Because so often we walk about life and, and, we, and we discern everything that's around us based on what we can see and, and what we experience. And the reality is all of Scripture is God's revelation to us. It's His perspective to us. It's His teaching to us. And He gives it to us so that we can know Him. But the reason I bring it up here is because this is a moment where where Jesus is speaking directly to God. And, 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 And there is nothing hidden here. Jesus is speaking about a mission and about a people that God knows all about. And so I think that, especially in this passage, we can gain some great insight about what Jesus Christ had come to do. As this passage has been broken up by different theologians, it's it's broken up into three different sections. Jesus Christ praying for himself, and I, I don't tip, I don't totally agree with that, and I'll tell you about that in just a second. Jesus praying for his disciples, the ones that were with him there, and then Jesus praying for us, the ones that would come from the work of the disciples. And I would still split it up in three sections, but as Jesus prayed for himself, he wasn't really praying for himself. In fact, we'll read it in just a second. We're going to read the whole thing in just a second. You'll see that as Jesus prays, he's really praying that his life would count for God, 
that his life would, would count for the Father, that, that his, his, his existence, the mission that he'd been given to do, the, the things that he was doing would, would make a difference and, and would glorify God. In fact, that's exactly what he says as, as, as the passage opens. It's, hey, Father, now it's time. Now it's time that, that my life honors you. And, and as it honors, or as I do this thing that you've given me to do, I just, I just ask that you would glorify yourself through it. So Jesus, facing the cross, facing this horrendous and, and terrible event, is praying that God be glorified. He wasn't praying for himself in some selfish or self-centered manner. He was praying that his life, no matter what it took, no matter what happened, no matter what the events and circumstances looked like, that his life would count for the Father. And that's really where we sat last week and, and saw this example of a selfless life given to bring revelation and glory to, to God the Father. And that's what Jesus was all about. In fact, the whole passage, that whole opening passage that we read was all about that. Not only did Jesus pray about this glorious mission that God had sent him on, bringing revelation of him to the world, but he did pray that, that this people that he had known always would come to experience this great benefit, eternal life. And he gave us examples of what that eternal life was. He told us what it, what it really was. He told us that eternal life was knowing God the Father. You see, we, we, we picture eternal life more in the sense of a place. Like we're going to die and we're going to enter into eternal life and we're going to go and sit on clouds and play harps and fly around and wear diapers all day long. That's the picture of eternal life that we present. But Jesus tells us that eternal life is knowing God the Father. It's more about a relationship. It's more about a connection to, to our Creator, being redeemed, being reconciled to Him. See, that's one of those great perspectives that we gain, that it's not about some moment in the future that we will die and go into. But as we come into this relationship now, we have eternal life because we know God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And he tells us that, that, that this is for a people, a particular people that he has been given. What an amazing thing. Because if you sit here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then, then, then you are known by him. And you have been known by him. What a special and amazing revelation. You may not have always known who he was, but he has always known who you are. And He has always known where you are. You see, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as someone who is connected into this eternal life, we can know that we're one of those particular people that He's speaking of. And that's the revelation that He begins to share. That's the things that He begins to tell His Father. Thank you for these people that you've given me. Thank you for this eternal life that, that we are able to give to them. These are the things that he begins to reveal. And, and then he turns the corner, and, and we're really going to look at his interceding ministry begin today. We're, we're, we're really going to look at him begin to pray for us, for his followers. And, and I, as we do that, we're going to read the whole chapter. We're not going to focus on the whole thing. But I wanted you to have those things in mind because we're going we're to read through that passage really quickly just so that you can hear it in context. But I want you to remember them as we move forward and hear his prayer as he prayed it for us. John 17, we'll begin in verse 1. We'll read all the way through verse 26. So I'm just going to ask you to be, be, be intentional about paying attention. Listen closely to his word. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, 
Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you and that they have believed that you sent me. Now, now that's that passage that we've just kind of summarized in, in the first couple of minutes. These people that he had been given have eternal life. They have seen God in him. They have seen truth revealed. They have, they have experienced it. They have responded to it. They have trusted in it. That's, that's what he's talking about. And he's talking about this particular people. And now really quickly in verse 9, we begin to see how particular they are. He says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. He's talking about Judas there. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves." I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask these things only for those who will believe in me through, or I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be all, may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me even as you or sent me and loved them even as you loved me father i desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where i am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world o righteous father even though the world does not know you i know you and these know you that have sent me that you have sent me I have made known to them, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them, 
Now that's a lot to read, and I know it's hard to stay, stay paying attention, but this is what I believe. There's only one thing that makes a difference in the life of a, of a believer or any other person in the world, and that's the Word of God. That's what brings change. That's what brings conversion. And so I felt it, 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 it had to be that as we talk about these things and we look at them as a whole, we had to read that as a whole and listen. Listen to what he's saying about, about this mission, this glorious mission that he had been sent on. That he knew that this was what he'd been sent to do. To glorify the Father. To bring revelation about the Father. To show the Father to the whole world. With this special intent and special revelation coming to these people that he had always known that they might have eternal life. See, it's them. This particular people that he's praying for. And as I think about that, I mean the question, does it even really matter? Does it matter that we take time and try and gain this revelation? Does it matter that we try and understand what he's saying? Does it matter that we hear his word? Do, do we, do, does it matter that we know that he prayed for us? And to that I say absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. You see, for, for, for so long, we, we, we live in this life, we walk in this walk, and we, and we deal with this, this, this life, and we deal with the struggles and the problems of this life. And sometimes it seems like we're all alone and that He doesn't know where we're at or what we're experiencing. And sometimes we're just struggling and, and fighting this fight and it just seems like it's for nothing. But in this moment, in these words, you can see, you can see that even as He's uttering these words, He's not just thinking about those people that are with Him there, but He's thinking about you and me. It does matter that we gain this perspective. It, it, it matters where the rubber meets the road. You, I, I know the people I'm talking to. I know the struggles of, of many of the people in this room. I know that, it, that, that, that there's people with, with trouble in their families. I, I know that there's people with trouble in their finances. I know that there's people who are struggling with confusion and they don't know what the next step is. And for so long we've been taught, well, you just want it, you go after it. And so, so that thing becomes, that, that thing that we want becomes our focus. And if, if we think that money is going to somehow fix our problem and fix all of our financial issues, that's what we chase after. So we look for a job that's going to pay more. We look for a, for somebody to give us a handout. We look for that help from all around because all we need to do is just get more money and more money and that'll fix all our problems. And we study the art of making money. I mean, sometimes people even go so far as to make money and print it. And, and I'm just going to tell you that I don't care if you've got a printer with all the ink in the world and it never runs dry. That money that you make and if you never get caught with it, it doesn't matter. It's going to leave you confused and empty and wanting. And it will never fix those issues. And some of us think that, oh, if we just had a happy family, if I just can, can raise good kids and they just do what I tell them to and, and everything would just be hunky-dory and happy and, and you know what, I, I, I'll, I'll do this for them. I'll, I'll take care of my kids and I'll be the best friend that they've ever had and they'll love me. And, and you know what, I, I won't ever discipline them because I don't want them to think I don't like them. And, and instead of disciplining them, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna only ever do positive things. And just make them feel good. And give them what they want. You know, all those things that I wanted when I was a kid, I'm gonna give my kids that. And the reality is, is that leads to problems. You see, kids have needs that are more important than wants. And parents have a responsibility that's more important 
than, 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 than being friends. And sometimes it's difficult to carry out. But that happy family, that picture and that, that thought that, oh, if I can just do all these things and, and pour myself into this family and forget about everything else in the world and forget about anything else and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pour myself into this family and never pay attention to anyone else and I'm just gonna family, 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 family. And when I have this happy family, everything's gonna be right. Those people will let you down because we're people. We're broken and we're fallen. People will fail you. And that thing that you thought would bring you happiness might be the thing that can hurt you the most. Some of us think we, we long for things that are a little less, a little more abstract. You know, we want happiness and we want love and we want peaceful lives and we just want everything to be smooth and easy going. And so we run away from conflict. We never say a good word for Jesus because, boy, somebody just might not like that. We, we, we look for things that are fun. And we spend our time chasing after those entertainment things that, that just, oh, they just make us feel good and forget all about the problems of the world. And we think that, you know, if we sacrifice ourselves to other people, sometimes in the worst of ways. I mean, you think about it. My, my sons tell me about the sex, the, the focus on sex in high school. Now, I'm going to tell you, it was there when I was in high school. I don't want to make it sound like it wasn't. But my sons tell me about how open it is now and how it's just an expectation and, and, and girls will do things just to get the approval of a guy. And they don't care and they don't think anything of it. But because they want to be loved and, and, and they just want to feel loved and they want somebody to pay attention to them. And guys, they, they, they think, oh, well, she must like me because she's let me do this. And they just want to feel loved. You see, the truth is, is all of those things are fleeting and they fail and they leave you empty and miserable. So do these things matter that we're hearing from Jesus Christ? Absolutely they do. Because in the midst of this life we live, all of these things that we could chase after will fall. They will fail. They will be empty. But this Jesus, this, 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 this God who came and put on flesh and dwelt among us, this, this man who, who went to the cross and sacrificed himself for us, stopped 2,000 years ago and prayed for those that were with him then and prayed for us who are sitting here today because he knew you. You're important to him. You matter to him. I've talked about it a little bit. Who, who did he pray for? You know, verse 9, you know, it, it turns pretty quickly and, 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 and turns very directly. In verse 9, he says, I'm praying for them. And that refers back really to verses 6 through, through uh, 10. And he's praying for those people who he had always known who he had given this revelation to, this specific and special revelation to, who he had given eternal life to, he's praying for them. He says, I'm not praying for the world. This is difficult. Because we think that Jesus is for everybody. How can he be leaving people out? 
Why isn't he praying for everyone? Because this prayer, this prayer is for those who believe in him. It's not that he never said a prayer for people who didn't believe when he's hanging on the cross. The, the guards were there just fighting over his tunic. And he says, and, 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 and he's, he's looking at them and he sees all these people. And he says, God, forgive them. They don't know what they do. But these words, these are special. Because they're for these people that he gave eternal life to. They're for these people that had been following him for some time who were going to face some very difficult issues. It's, it's, it's words like this that, that he is giving to people who he's given eternal life to. I want you to get this picture. Here's Jesus standing with God's perspective, and he is looking out at these people that, that he's talking about, and he's talking to his Father about these people that he's given life to. And this picture of this, of this mission is, is Jesus reaching out and giving a gift, and these people over here are standing, and all they can do is receive. It's a much different picture than we often have in our minds as we think about salvation, about redemption, about reconciliation. You see, we have it because we've been given it. It comes from Jesus Christ to us. All we can do is receive it. But beyond that, beyond that, that, that instant and, and, and beginning point of conversion and salvation, Jesus is praying for these people because He wants something special for them. He, he wants more for them. He has something in mind for them. He's praying for these people in particular. And then in verse 20, it quickly turns that it doesn't, it's, it's not just pointing to these people that lived in, in his time. You see, he's praying also for those that came to know him through their work. Do you know who that includes? You. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you have come to know Him through the foundational work of the apostles. As a believer in Jesus Christ, some other follower has had an impact in your life and revealed the glory of Jesus Christ to you. He, some other believer has been used in your life to bring this truth. You see, you can sit here today and have this assurance that Jesus Christ knew you and prayed for you. Well, what did He pray for you? I mean, it's great that, oh, I, I, yeah, he prayed for me. That's good. I love that. But what did he pray? Well, all throughout, and it, it, we're not going to read it again, but over and over you hear these words that they can be one as we are one. He's praying for unity. He's praying that, that we can be together, that we can be unified, moving in, direct, in the same direction, in the, in the same mission. You see, I don't think that this, this means that we have to be cookie cutters. I don't think that this means we all have to look exactly alike. But he's praying for us to be unified in a connection to him. Unified in this, in this, in this uh, fellowship or in this family. And I, I'll just tell you this. I know from personal experience that Nicaraguan Christians act differently than we do. I know that because I've met them. And they have a different outlook on life and they have a different perspective of things and they do things differently than we do. I can tell you from personal experience that Chinese Christians do things differently than we do. They just do. I'm going to tell you that Chinese people do everything different than we do. I mean, they don't even build their houses right. They build their house from the top down. And I know that doesn't make sense, but it, it's, it really is true. 
They put rocks in the ground, and they put poles up, and they start with the roof, and they build down. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. But they do it. Everything. But you know what was amazing? My first trip to China, actually, I think it might have been my second trip to China, we're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there is no, civilization is, it's not even a word these people know because they're so far out in the middle of nowhere. They, They don't know what civilization looks like. And we walk up onto this bridge that crosses a river, and we hear these people singing this song that sounds really familiar. What is that? They were singing some hymn. I don't remember the hymn, but it was some hymn that it was obvious. And they're singing it in Chinese, and we didn't understand a word they were saying, but the, the, the ebb and flow of the music and the melody, we, we picked it up, and we're like, what are they doing singing this song? Well, we were fortunate enough to be able to have someone who spoke a little bit of Chinese, and they began to translate, and it was Chinese Christians. And you know that immediately, immediately, there was a bond between us. I didn't sit down and ask them for their theological perspective on every last thing. I didn't ask them how they worshipped and what their practices of worship were. I didn't sit down and try and figure out and pick apart everything that was going on. But this one thing I can tell you, we were brothers and sisters because we were believers in Jesus Christ. And there was a unity. There was a connection. We were family. What an amazing thing. People I never even knew and probably will never see again until we get to heaven. But we were friends. And we talked and we shared and we, and we smiled and laughed and enjoyed one another's company, even just for a short time. What an amazing moment. But we were unified because of this connection in Christ. It talks about that in verse, uh, in verse 10 and 11. It says this. It says, <clears throat> well, I'm going to read it to you in just a second. All mine are yours and yours are mine. He's talking about that they're all in this one big group. And they be- we belong to them. And I am glorified in them, he says. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. In him, by his power, we have a connection because of him. It doesn't mean that we all look alike, smell alike, talk alike, act alike. But in him, He wants us to have this. He's given us this opportunity for it. He calls us to a unity in mission. It talks about this in verse 21. He says that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Listen. So, this is all all in result of being unified so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We have been given the same mission to do. We have all been sent to talk about the same Jesus, to glorify the same God, to tell people about the same works that happen within us. This, this eternal life that has been given to us. Not that we deserve it, not that we can earn it, not that we can in some way tease God into it or force His, His hand and tell Him that we must have it, but that He has given us this gift. You see, He has given us this mission, and we're going to talk about this more next week as we, as we recognize His will in our lives. But He has given us this gift, and He has told us to let people know about it. And that is the mission of every believer. And here's the interesting thing about that. Not every believer has the same job in the mission. You see, we can't all be preachers. We can't all be evangelists. We can't all be the the behind-the-scenes servants. 
We can't all be the, the, the hospitality people who, who are opening their house. I, I think we all should exercise hospitality. Don't, don't hear me but wrong, but there are some people that are going to exercise it more easily, and it's going to be something they do. But everything we do fills a role in the body of Christ that His name might be glorified. First Peter says that so His various graces might be realized. Or God's grace in its various forms might be realized. You see, the thing is, is that we all have a part to play. I mean, think about this. If a, if a husband and wife decide that they're going to fill the same role and do the same exact thing within a marriage, there's a lot of things that aren't going to get done. I mean, really. I don't like doing dishes. I don't like putting them away. I don't like putting them in the dishwasher. I don't really like doing it at all. But if Amy and I decide that we're both trash people, there will never be any dishes. In fact, we'll be eating on paper plates, which we do sometimes. And, you know, we, or we could go buy dishes every week and have a bunch of dishes. And we just throw them away. You see, we all have a part to play. We all have a job to do. And we each need to find that job and do that job that His name might be glorified. We're unified in mission. We're moving in the same direction for the same purpose, looking for the same result, that Jesus Christ might be known in the world and that His Father, our Creator, and His glory and His grace and His mercy might be revealed. And we're unified also in connection, in connection, in fellowship, in mission, and in His glory. You see, we are marked by the work that He has done. We're marked by the work that He has done. We are a distinct people. We'll talk about this more next week. But His glory, He says that He has given us His glory. There should be a distinct difference between us, uh, between believers and those who aren't believers. And this is a sad thing that happens in our church culture today over and over and over. And, and, and more and more so, actually, is what I should say. More and more so, the church is looking more like the culture and less like its Savior. And it's a consistent pattern that's happening and has been for some years. I'm not saying that... that there, there's, there's arguments to that, and there's, there's different perspectives we could take on that. But people who go to church who say they believe will oftentimes look just like the world that they live in. But we have been given His glory and are marked by Him and, are a, and, and should be should look like a distinct people. Those are the things that he's praying for us. Unity in his family, in his fellowship. Unity in his mission and unity in his glory that, that as we come together, that his light might shine brightly so that people will know him, so that people will recognize the work that he does, so that people will see us loving one another as he has been loved by the Father and as he has loved us. That's the work that he did. That's the unity that he prayed for in us. He prays also for protection. Notice, as he prays for protection, it's not, it's not he's, that he's praying that nothing would happen. The whole context of this and, and the chapters before tell us that things are going to happen. There's going to be trouble. But he prays for protection in verses, I'm sorry, in verse 11 and 12. 
I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name. See, Jesus, when he was there, he was able to be a shield. He was able to protect them. He was able to be the, the leader and, and, and be in front of them, and, and the people hated him. And when he was gone, they were going to be hated because of his name. And he's saying, keep them, protect them, watch over them. And, and, and really, you know, there's a, there's a, a theological point that comes out of this is that we're not saved, or, or I'm sorry, not only are we not saved by our works, but we're not kept safe by our works. You see, God saves us and keeps us safe. We are kept in His name. That simply means that you are kept in Him. His power resides on you. The things that happen to you only happen because they are allowed. We persevere and we are preserved not by our works, but by His. Imagine it like this. There's a child and his father walking down the road and, and obviously traffic is zooming back and forth and they're on the sidewalk. And if the father stands against the buildings and walks be, between his child and the buildings and the child is, is out in the street or out near the street, the only thing that's protecting that child is the child. See, the father doesn't have a lot of control. The father's not in between or, or protecting in any way. But Jesus is saying, Father, Shield them, protect them, keep them in your name. Be a good dad. Walk between them and the traffic that if anything gets to them, it's only because you've let it there. You see, protect them, keep them in your name. That's what he's praying for. And he's praying for provision. Provision of joy, verse 13. He says that He wants us to experience this. He's saying these things so that, so that we can know His joy in its fullest sense. You see, Jesus' joy is not about happiness. It's not about the circumstances of life being smooth and simple and easy. He's telling us that He wants us to have joy in the midst of all of that. In the midst of all the things that could go wrong. Knowing Him brings joy. And that, that simply is it's more about contentment and a quietness of soul, and a, and a sense of joy, a, a sense of happiness, not based on circumstances, but built on the knowledge that Jesus Christ has saved you, keeps you safe, and is sanctifying you and cleansing you, and making you into His likeness. He says, I want them to have this joy. I want them to know sanctification. And really what that means is, is being, I want them to be made holy, and continue to be made holy, more and more holy. In verse 17, he tells us, or he says to his father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You see, he's asking that we would be set apart, that we would be a distinct people, that we would be cleansed, that the sins in our life would be purged, that we would be made to be shiny and new in him. You see, that's what Paul talked about. Paul talked about as, as we come into Christ and as we are converted and saved, he says, you are a new creation. That's this work. That's this thing that's done, that Jesus is praying about for you, that you would be sanctified, cleansed, made new. And he prays for the provision of our ongoing education, knowing him more and more. It's the first time we'd sung that song. I don't know where it came from, but as we sang that first song, knowing more of Christ, more of God, more of life, you see, we don't come into this, to this life and, and, and just have every, every bit of knowledge. And we don't have everything to, to handle what's coming next. 
We are always being prepared, always being shaped, always being multiplied, or, or I'm sorry, not multiplied, being, being grown and pruned and, and, and made more into His likeness. It's a continual process to the point that we die and we're given our glorified bodies. The resurrection happens and we're given our glorified bodies. It's the process that he, he brings us to. He wants us to grow in that. It says so in, in verse uh, 26. <clears throat> he says, I made known, mo- um, let me sorry, start over. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known. Think about this. When we go through life and we face struggles that we deal with, and, and everyone, everyone in this room knows the struggle of life, there's not a person in this room that doesn't have something that they face. And if you're not facing it now, you will be facing one soon. It's just the truth. Whether it's financial, whether it's family, whether it's uh, friend-related, whether it's wh- whatever, you're going to know it. If those things never happened, what would we know God to be? Abraham stood on a mountain. He had been told by God to go and sacrifice his son. It's a terrible thing. I mean, why in the world would he even ask? Why would he be told to go climb a mountain and sacrifice his son? Because God had a plan. And God knew what he was doing. And when Abraham got to the top of that mountain and he ties his son up and he's just about to kill him, there's a ram in the thicket. You know what God or Abraham learned about God that day? What God revealed about himself that day, that he would provide. In fact, Abraham named that place, God will provide. Mary and Martha loved Jesus. Boy, they had him in in their home and they fixed meals for him and they listened to his teachings. They loved Jesus. And when their brother Lazarus got sick, they sent for Jesus. But he didn't come right away. And their brother died. And they had to put him in the grave. And when Jesus came, the first thing they did was run to him and fall at his feet and say, Jesus, if you had just been here, my brother would be alive today. You see, what they knew about Jesus was that he could heal people. But what they learned about Jesus was that he had the power of life in him. You see, everything we face and the things that you're facing in this moment now, Jesus is going to continue to present God's glory to you. That in this moment, He will be glorified. And when you come to the other side of this problem, this struggle, this issue of life, you will know His glory. And you will know Him better. And you will trust Him more deeply. He wants us to continue to grow in Him. And He prayed for that provision. And He prayed for us to know His love. How, how great a love is it? The Father, the Father, I'm talking the Creator God, God the Father, the, the, the first person of the Trinity, He loves His Son in a perfect and very special way. One that is probably beyond our, our, our imagination. But that love is the love that He loved us with. Sacrificial, selfless, giving us our best need, meeting our deepest needs, fulfilling in us the best thing that we could ever have, no matter what the cost to Himself. And He prayed that we would know that love. You see, all of these things we want in this world are answered in Jesus. 
Does it matter that we understand this? Absolutely, yes, it does. Because if we want the happy family, if we want the peace in our finances, if we want to know love and joy and peace, we must know Jesus. And here's the great news. He prayed that those who know Him and who believe in Him, that they would know it. Do you think there's ever been a prayer that he prayed that the Father didn't know and that wasn't answered positively? You see, Jesus was praying for God's will. That's what God wants for his people. I don't care the circumstances of your life. Let me say this a little differently, a little sound a little less callous. I do care about the circumstances of your life. I, it does concern me that the people in this room struggle with the issues. But I trust Jesus. And I know that it sounds like the cliche Sunday school answer, but in Him, in Him, you can have joy. You can know His love. You can continue to see the glory of God revealed. <laughs> you can be protected and kept safe in your walk with Him. And you will have a family that's built around you in Him. You will have a purpose that you've been given, a mission to work on. Huh. And a glory to reveal. That's what He prayed for you. And all of those things, those base needs of life will be met in Him. And so whatever it is we face, whatever it is we deal with, Rather than chasing after that thing and making that the focus, and I'm going to do everything I can to make this one thing right, let me challenge you to chase after Jesus. Pursue Him hard. Run to Him. And here's the truth of that. He's running with you. He's running with you. He is for you. He prayed these things. For you. Why would he pray him? Why would he pray this? Because you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, belong to him. You are his and you are precious to him. He holds you close. You mean so much to him. You meant enough that he would sacrifice himself for you. That He would give up the glory of heaven. That He would step into this world and take on flesh and take on a new nature and, and become a man and dwell among us and deal with the struggles and problems of life just like you have, but without sin. And He went to a cross that He didn't deserve and He died in a, in a way that became a sacrifice for us. That He might become the firstborn among many brothers. That as we come to know Him and trust in Him, that we can know this truth and be held by Him and become precious to Him. Why would He pray it? Because He loves you so dearly. Because He knows that in this world you'll have trouble. But He has overcome the world. See, that's really the context of what this passage sits in. He says, summarizing three chapters worth of teaching, in this world you will have trouble. We know that to be true. We know that's true. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Why would he pray it? So that as you recognize the truth of 
having trouble in this world, you will recognize the truth that in Him you can overcome. Every head bowed, every eye closed.